If you open your Bibles to both Genesis chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1, that's where we will uh, begin this morning as we read the Word of God. grateful that we have this opportunity to gather to worship you. We know, Lord, that it is good for our soul. We know, Lord, that it is right and proper for us to give you the reverence that you so rightly deserve. We know, Father, that it helps us to refocus our thoughts and perhaps rearrange our priorities and putting them in the order that they need to be. We know, Lord, that you are honored and glorified as we come together in the name of Christ. Lord, we do so because we are grateful for all that you have done for us. And Father, we also desire to hear from you. We desire, Lord, to, to be influenced and to be changed by your word. We ask you will give us understanding. We pray, Lord, you give us insight. That, Father, we may live in wisdom. That, Father, we may represent you well. That, Father, you may use us as you see fit in the lives of others. Father, may we be, may we be enriched this morning. As we spend this time together, we thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So what we're attempting to do over these several weeks is to look at some current issues that we're facing in our society and trying to understand how we how we can respond, how we should think through them. There's kind of two things I have in my mind as, as we look at these things, and that is number one, so there are those who are perhaps convinced of what the Bible says about these various issues that we're facing, that they're the dealing with races and gender issues and, and all of the many sexual things that are going on. And so there are those who are telling us that because of our view that we are bigoted or that we are narrow-minded or whatever the case may happen to be. And so we want to make sure that we can go back to the Word of God and understand where our position comes from, what, what our convictions should be and, and, ha- and, and where, that, where that reasoning comes from. But then also at the same time, there is, within the church as a whole, 
uh, across our country and, and in some other Western countries, there, is, there are those who are being kind of lured into uh, these movements, and they are abandoning, I think, uh, biblical thinking. It's not that if you join with a group to fight racism that you're no longer following biblical thinking. That's not what I'm saying, because we are to fight racism, as we've seen. But this idea that when it comes to various social justice issues, uh, the, the language that's used, the, the redefinition uh, of certain words, um, and, and making certain, uh, some of these issues kind of like the priority or the theme of your life and moving away from what the Word of God has to say about these things. Maybe making accusations or accusing people of being a certain way based on either the color of their skin or because of their belief about marriage or what have you. And so we want to make sure that we go back then to make sure that we are adjusting ourselves to make sure that we don't get caught up in the wrong movement that's being expressed in the wrong way. As I mentioned before, what we covered two weeks ago when we talked about the gospel and that that is, again, the answer for all of these problems and difficulties that we're facing. And the gospel of Jesus Christ can and does inform how we are to handle these things and how we are to relate to others and really how we are to reason these things out. So last week we began to look at a couple of questions that, that uh, and, you know, I, I talk about a lot of different things I've been reading and from a lot of these things that are out there, which are some very good things that are, that are written about these topics to, to kind of guide us along. And so we asked ourselves this question, is our view of sexuality as expression of, as expression of creator or creature worship? And the background for that question is this. When we read through Romans 1, we saw that when man exchanges the glory of God for images, when man moves into idolatry, we see that the very first thing or the very next thing that is mentioned are sexual sins. And so I believe what's being stressed there is that when it comes to idolatry, when it comes to moving away from what God has said, sexuality or sexual issues really are a, it's, it's a spiritual issue. There, it, there's a spiritual problem at its core. We don't always make that connection, but the Bible does. And so, and I think that's why, maybe that explains why it seems that there's so much of an emphasis on sexual issues what we would call sexual sins in our society. I mean, it's constant. You know, the attack on marriage is dealing with sexuality, whether it's dealing with the homosexual movement and wanting there to be married, you want the state or the nation to recognize marriages, the same-sex marriage thing, when it comes to same-sex couples wanting to adopt children, uh, when it comes to whether or not same-sex uh, sexual relations are even moral. All of those things, those, those are spiritual at its core. They really are, at its core, a rebellion against God. Now, when I say that, remember, we're not looking for ways to be able to throw out more accusations against those who might be inclined to live in that way or support those things. We're not, we're not looking to, to, to throw mud at people. We want to understand what the Scripture says, clearly have a grasp on what is moral and what is not moral, according to what God has said, we want to make sure that those things are our convictions, and if we have opportunities to speak with others about this, whether they are involved in these issues or maybe 
it's others who are discussing these issues as they affect our country. We want to make sure that we are speaking as Christians. We want to make sure that we have a burden for those who are lost. We want to make sure that we speak out of love, but never compromising. So we want to be firm on the truth. And we want to make sure that what we do our best to do is to communicate that what we're holding on to is that which God has communicated. That this is not just our stance because we don't like certain things or certain things make us uncomfortable. This is what God has said. So that when it comes to our understanding of sexuality, it's not about is your view progressive or is it conservative. It is, is it biblical or not? That is the issue, and we want to make sure that we fall on the right side of that. So when it comes to our view of sexuality, when sexuality is expressed, is it, is it an expression of that which comes from the creator or from creature worship? Secondly, we looked at, does our view of sexuality redefine love and hate? And so we're not going to rehash all those things. Uh, again, we're going to move on to a couple of other questions to help us to think through this thing. And so here's the third question, and that is this. Does our view of sexuality resort to worldview bullying? So I felt that out there as a term I came across in one of the books I was reading. I think it's a term that can be used for various groups, whether, whether that group would be biblical or conservative or liberal or what have you. We want to make sure we don't engage in worldview bullying. So this is what I mean by that. So I'll give you, I came across this example in one of the books I read, and I thought it was pretty good. And so I've kind, of, I've kind of adopted it or adapted it to what I'm talking about. So first of all, many of you believe the same thing I believe. I believe that by God's grace, I am an adopted son of God. I've been welcomed to God's family thanks to the work of Jesus on my behalf. Again, that is not some superficial opinion. That is really the core of my identity. That is who I am. So let's say that I'm going to announce on Facebook and Twitter and everything else that's out there that from now on, I want people to address me as Bob Dimmitt, adopted son of God, or Bob, adopted son of God. From now on, that's my preferred pronoun or whatever you want to call it. If you think about that, that statement, I am an adopted son of God, only makes sense within a Christian, scripturally informed worldview. There are a lot of people that I interact with who do not share my belief system in which a claim like that to be the adopted son of the creator of the universe, it just doesn't make sense to them. This notion would be nonsense to a Muslim, to a Buddhist, to an atheist, and to those with many other worldviews. So if I'm demanding that they address me as an adopted son of God, that would be a form of worldview bullying. I will be basically telling people who don't interpret the world the way I do that they must accept my worldview, that they must act and speak as if my beliefs are more true than their own. As a precondition of having a conversation with me, if they don't, I'm going to scream and call them mean names. Because if I picked them up and threw them through a window, I'd get arrested. So I'm not, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm pretty sure that most people would still decline. In fact, some would resent me, forcing them to accept my beliefs. And that no matter how offended I may feel that they refuse to accept my core identity, they simply cannot and they will not participate. We've heard it. There's this increasing demand, and at times mandated by force of law, to use the pronouns of choice for those who are transgender, and we'll call them this, they're transgender image bearers. They're still made in the image of God. 
The image is marred by sin, but they call themselves transgender. But there are only certain worldviews in which that claim, what's their claim? Their claim is, I can define my gender by an act of will. There's only certain worldviews that that makes sense. In other words, you have to have a worldview that separates gender from biological sex. The majority of people don't do that. Of course, God doesn't either. Only a worldview in which gender is purely a social construct. That can only be true in a worldview in which we consider the subjective feelings of an individual to be authoritative and unquestionable. In fact, it only makes sense in a worldview in which there are no important distinctions between male and female that the pronoun issue becomes an issue. So you see, underneath that request, please call me by my desire pronoun, is an implicit demand to disavow your own worldview and embrace my understanding about sex, gender, and the authoritative role of subjective feelings. This, this is nothing more than compulsion. It is really a form of, of expression or maybe of harassment. For the believer caught up in this, you need to know that this kind of behavior is incompatible with the Christian view of how to treat others. So if a man asks me to call him Sally, I can call him Sally, but I cannot refer to him as a her. That's the difference. If he wants the name Sally, that's his name, I'm fine with that. Right? And there's all, you know, we all know there's certain names that can go either way. Um, you know, they, you know if you, you, I have a daughter named Jesse, and I know guys named Jesse. It's just now that's how it is. But when they want me to refer to them as a woman, I refuse to do that because I believe I would be acknowledging that their view is correct and the biblical view is wrong. Now, a lot of people in the world aren't going to get that. That's okay. We don't do things based on whether or not the world gets what we're saying. But I am going to live my life based on what the scripture says. Now, as I've said before, and it's going to be more so nowadays, you want to take a stand on the Bible, you want to live in light of what the Bible says, you're going to ruffle feathers. You can, you can do this with a smile. You can do this gently. You don't have to be mean about it. But we want to make sure that we are expressing our stance on what the Bible says. Remember, the Bible is more than just a book that says Jesus died for your sin. That's central. And that is, and that actually, that statement implies a whole lot more than people ever imagine. But the Bible does speak on everything in life. And, we, and for those of us who are believers, we are submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he is God. God has spoken. I am submitting myself to everything that God has said, period. And so we must do that. And so then we, we know this is the world that God made. And because God made it, God has the right to say whatever he wants to say about the world. It belongs to him. No one else has a right to tell him how to run his world or how, what, what he should establish as being right or wrong. And of course, again, remember that he is God. He is wholly other than us. He is not, you know, just a super man. He is to be worshipped. He is to be honored. He is to be obeyed. That would be the normal, natural response of the creature to the creator. And so we are proclaiming that, that, that that's the stance we are in. I am, I am submitting to all that God has said. And so we want to make sure we are communicating that to others. So sometimes the individual may think in their mind, well, I, I just don't want to ruffle feathers and I want to get along with people. And so look, 
If the guy wants me to refer to her as a her, it's just not a big deal. That is. It is a big deal. You just can't do that. Now again, if they say their name is Sally, fine, I'll call you Sally. But I'm still going to refer to you as he. And others may become confused by that, and that's okay. But the idea is, is that I'm not going to accept their worldview of how sexuality is defined in any way, shape, or form, except what the scripture demands. I've, and again, we don't have to be disrespectful when we do that. The, the second, or the fourth question, which is the second point today that I want to cover when it comes to this, is does our view of sexuality include self-deification? So if you would, turn to Genesis 3. Uh, I want just to point something out to you and then kind of take it back to what we're facing today in our society, what people are saying, and then try to evaluate what is being communicated based on what the scripture says. So in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I believe that when it comes to what's this exchange here, that there's an aspect of this that's very important that we need to kind of latch on to. I don't believe that Adam and Eve were ignorant of what was right and wrong because God had already given them a command. And the reason why I say that is because when Satan says you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil, I think the meaning of that is, is that they are going to be the ones who are going to be determining what is good and what is evil. Because that's what God does. What God calls morally right is morally right. It's not that something is morally right and God recognizes it. God is the one who determines what is morally right and what is morally wrong. If you're going to be like God, you then determine what is morally right and morally God, morally wrong. We do that sometimes when, uh, when, we, when you speed down the interstate. You have determined what truth applies to you. And so for me, because I'm a safe driver, I can drive at 85. If someone passes me, they're the maniac and they're insane and where are the police when you need them? And so we kind of do that on a small scale, but this is really what's going on here. But think of this in terms now of what's going on in our society. So follow me on this. If someone says that God is good, kind, forgiving, etc., but they don't believe that God is the supreme power ruling over the entire universe, that person really has denied the very existence of God. Why? Because the God who actually does exist really is the ultimate power over the universe. Rejecting a supreme God is the same as rejecting the God who actually exists. A.W. Pink said this, There is no other possible alternative between an absolutely supreme God and no God at all. Strip God of his supremacy, and you're no longer thinking about God, but a projection of your imagination. Because God is the creator, to deny any truth about God is to deny his very existence. And so keeping that in mind, I came across this. If someone has the gall to question our, this, this would be the individual who's kind of caught up in this mess, in the things that we've been talking about. 
If someone has the gall to question our chosen gender identity or our sexual acts, you may hear this, you're canceling my existence. Now, no doubt that person may feel generally rejected, like someone's trying to erase them. But underneath that profound offendedness lies a hidden rejection of the creator-creature distinction that is established in Scripture. There is a belief that we are sovereign, self-defining selves. Okay, so one time I had to fill out some insurance form, and so there was a question on there, and it said, I'm trying to remember how it was worded, um, uh, what gender were you assigned at birth? And so I told the person, I said, I can't answer this question. She said, why? I go, I wasn't assigned a gender. My gender was recognized. Huge difference. I said, the doctor didn't call the nurse and say, hmm, should we call this a boy or a girl? I said, they weren't trying to figure out what I was and then, and then say, oh, let's just assign this to him. They immediately recognized my gender. You're asking me a completely different question, and I, and I can't answer that. She said, well, then just put male. I said, you're not getting my problem. I'm not trying to be picky, but I am. The question is wrong. And if I answer the question, I'm agreeing with the premise of the question. <laughs> she said, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> I didn't ask who one of those were, but uh, I said, it's just, it's very problematic. And uh, so anyway, I never answered the question. I'm assuming that when she got the form, she checked, you know, mail. But the idea is, is that when it comes to these things is we are, we believe we're sovereign. The non-believer believes they're sovereign and we define ourselves. That's what they're doing. Because again, we don't, we, we haven't just created this idea that there's only two genders and it's male and female. We didn't make that up. We, we, that's been revealed to us by God. On one hand, we may say, well, it's, it's just obvious. Well, but God still is the one who's told us this is how he made the world. He made the world male, I mean, when he made man, male and female. He makes that very clear in there. And that's clear throughout the scripture. So I don't have a right to go against it and say, well, I'm not that. I'm something different. You see, if someone denies my identity as an adopted child of God, back to, you know, I want to be referred to as Bob, the adopted son of God. If somebody denies my identity as an adopted child of God, that's fine. I'm neither a perfect or an authoritative standard on my identity, and neither is the person who rejects my identity. God is the standard on who I am. His verdict about me is infinitely more trustworthy than either how I feel about myself or who others say that I am. If, however, I turn myself into a kind of personal God or spirit to whom I owe obedience, if I make my own feelings or choices authoritative, then anyone who denies any part of my self-defined self becomes an offense. They become a, thre they become a threat to my very being. They are a bigot or they are a hater, and they must be silenced for sinning against my sovereignty. So that's what's behind when you hear individuals sometimes making a really big deal about making sure people call them by their preferred pronoun and getting so angry because it's more than just the fact that, we're, that we don't want to go along. Their view of this is that we are saying they don't have a right to define themselves. 
that they are not sovereign over themselves. And I'm not declaring that that individual really is a male. God is. And I am agreeing with that. I am submitting to what God has said, that God has created male and female. That's what's going on. Now, they can say whatever they want and say, you're being bigoted and you're a hater. That's going to happen anyway. But again, what we want to make sure we don't get caught up in is that, again, we get caught up in this argument because we are, quote-unquote, conservative politically. What we want to make sure that, that, that it's clear, as best we can, and that individual may not accept our reasoning, but I would just simply say, no, I believe that God has created male and female. God is the one who has assigned us our gender, and that's based on our biological sex, and therefore I am a male, and you are as well. That's that. When it comes to our understanding of marriage, it's not just, oh, it's obvious that the marriage has to be between a man and a woman. It's not obvious to some people. The idea is, no, based on the word of God, what does it say? God is the one who has instituted this. And these are the reasons God has put this in place. And this is what God wants this to do. And I am submitting to this. We, we don't want to take the stance that somehow, we don't intend to be arrogant, but sometimes we can sound a little arrogant because we are proclaiming that we know the truth apart from God. We don't say apart from God, but we're saying, no, I define marriage as between a man and a woman, and that's what I believe. No, I believe what God says about it, and he has reaffirmed, maybe what I'm already thinking, but it comes from God, he's the one who's established this. And so I'm in submission to what that says. This, these issues really are spiritual at their core, and that is why the issues are not easily resolved. And that's why individuals, from our point of view, oftentimes, if you, if you want to follow the Bible, we can see the logical inconsistencies in what those individuals are proclaiming. Because again, God is a God of logic. Everything that God gives us here is rational. The way God views the world is rational. It's a rational world. He's given us the ability to think rationally, and he wants us to think rationally. And the only way we can get to this point to all of a sudden we're now proclaiming that men are now women or that some women are men or what have you is this idea that we are sovereign and, and you have to be logically inconsistent. You, you can no longer follow the facts of biology. You can no longer follow the facts of logic to get to that position. And so it, it becomes really, in a sense, it becomes insanity. And these individuals, are they, what they proclaim is no, what's most important is the way I feel. And again, we know that the world can't exist that way. If the world existed that way, I was talk, when I was a jail chaplain, I was talking to inmates once, and we were kind of going back and forth on some things, and he was really, he was a, he was a character. And we were talking about some things, and he, just, he was just convinced that the world needed to cater to the way he felt. And I said, so, so I asked him, so do you believe that all of us then should live that way? He goes, yes. That's the world I want to live in. I said, no, you don't want to live in that world. He says, no, I do. I said, but sometimes when you speak, I have a natural inclination. It's, it's natural. I feel this way. I want to hit you. I said, so based on what you're saying, I can do that. He goes, no, no, that would be wrong. I, I go, yeah, but... That's how I feel. I feel it very strongly. Who are you to tell me that it's wrong? He said, well, well I'm the one that's going to be in pain. I said, but well, that's your problem. 
And in fact, not only do I feel like doing that, I'm also convinced I'll feel better. And don't you want me to feel better? He said, mm, I guess I don't. And so the idea was, is he, he realized that, that if we all live that way, the world becomes chaos. And God has given us an ordered world and an ordered way to view things. And so that's what we want to keep coming back to. And it helps us to understand, I think, really the chaos that's in the world in which we live in. It's, a, it's spiritual at its core. Just as God's feelings in traditional theology are expressions of his nature, so our feelings, in particular our sexual feelings, come to define our identities. That's an important statement because I've always, I thought this for a long time, I kept wondering why is it such a big deal to people that, whether, that, that we not only accept but that we in a sense condone or celebrate if they're homosexual or if they're transgender. Why do they keep going to that? I just couldn't get it. Like, what's the big deal? Well, going through all of this, for the, because of how God has made us and what the scripture is telling us here, what's going on as far as our sexual feelings and all that is, is the core of who we are as people. I don't mean the sense of running around trying to be perverted, but what I'm saying is, is it's, a, it's a major part of who we are. In one, in one sense, everything I do, I do as a male. If you're a male, everything you do, you do as a male. Uh, in fact, uh, this is how men think. It's some men, okay? Because some people thought I was making a statement today wearing all green. I'm for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's got nothing to do with that. This is, this is how I thought this morning. I just reached to my closet and grabbed a shirt. It was green. I know from history, because my wife and my daughter have told me that this tie matches. I grabbed that tie. That was it. No statement, no other thought, except I knew it was clean, and I put it on. No more thought than that. That's how a guy thinks, no statement. And so when it comes to that, we do certain things because of what we are, in essence. Not every guy thinks that way, but a lot of them do. You know, just so you know. You know why guys don't like to have umbrellas? They'll use the umbrella when it's raining. You know why we don't want an umbrella? Because we want to carry it when it's not raining. Nothing more than that. Still want to carry it. Anyway, so we go on. So remember then, to be like God, as we mentioned in Genesis 3, is the sin of saying we get to be the authoritative definers of reality. Once we take the fruit, getting everyone else to accept and celebrate our sexuality, uh, is as, as we autonomously defined it, becomes a matter of social justice. So they'll say this. I, I took, lifted this out of a, one of the books I was reading, one of the, one of the uh, a book I wouldn't recommend. It says this. We must fight the oppression of cisgender. Just so you know what cisgender means, that means uh, that uh, cisgender person is someone who believes that gender identity matches, matches what you are biologically. And so the word cis is actually a Latin prefix, which means same. So the idea is we must fight the oppression of cisgender and the oppression of heteronormative, which means we view the world that heterosexuality is normal, which I would add it is, but anyway. So we must fight the oppression of cisgender and the oppression of the heteronormative culture for threatening our self-defined selves. That's kind of what we're facing. That's why it's spiritual. That is why the gospel is the answer. It is. 
That's what's going on. There's, there's a deep need in that individual. There's a hole there. There's, there's an insecurity that is there. They may, not, they may not recognize it. They may not admit it. But that's what's there. What they need is not to be transformed in the sense that their thinking is now that the heterosexualism is normal. What they need is Christ. So their view of the whole world becomes different. So they submit to what God says. So even in all of these ideas, our goal is not to make someone view the world conservatively. Let God take care of that. My, my point and what I want to do is I want to be their friend. I want, to be, I want them to know that I do care about them. And I want them to come to know the truth. And I want to explain the truth to them. And I'll do so and I'll, if it, no matter how long that takes. Whether it's days, weeks, months, or years. That individual needs Christ. That individual is dying on the inside, and they're also already dead on the inside. That individual is making their sexuality everything about them. And it's not everything about them. That individual is demanding that we treat them like a little god. They want to be sovereign over themselves in every way. In the same way we get upset when someone wants to infringe on our freedoms, you know, that would get us all riled up real quick. They view it the same way, except it's the freedom to determine for themselves what they are. We all have freedoms, but there's a limit to our freedoms. And, that, and it's not just limited by logic. It's limited by God and what God says and what he's given us. So what happens on the one hand, we refuse to give God his due. And on the other hand, we give creatures or man a divine status that we are not due. And so when it comes to dealing with these issues, we need to kind of take a step back. Because it can really be upsetting to watch the news for a while and to hear the kind of inroads that is, are being made in the school system and in government and every other place. It can be maddening when we see that. But when we begin to recognize that this is man groping in the darkness, finding different ways to rebel against God, that he hates God and maybe in some sense kind of hates himself, they're, they're as lost as they can be. They're, they're now, they're no more lost than you were before you became a believer, but they are as lost as they can be. And they need someone to help, they need someone to turn the light on. So we pray. Remember that sin is blinding. And so they're blind to maybe their own waywardness. They're blind to the irrationality of their stance. They don't see it. Some may, but some they don't. Others may see it, but they don't care. Because all that matters is the way they feel. And what we need to make sure we do is we don't want to respond emotionally to that and get angry and, you know, we want to kind of choke them. And you may feel that way sometimes, but they need Christ. And, and there's individuals who are, who are, I guess there are some believers who are trying to be kind and loving, which is a good thing. And they think that the way to do that is to go along with them, believing in themselves that these issues are just minor. Well, I'll agree with them over these minor things so they can know that I'm their friend and then I can share the gospel with them. What I want you to know is you can go ahead and you can do that, but when you give that ground, you're erasing the foundation for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they'll have no reason to ever listen to you and what you have to say about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as hard as it may be and as disruptive as it may be, there, be, there are going to be times in our conversations with people where we're going to have to take these kinds of stands. And you can take them as gently as you can, 
But we must ask God to give us boldness and courage. Because these conversations are easy to have with people that you don't know very well. But then you begin to have them with your own children. Or you begin to have them with somebody in your family or someone you care deeply about. You suddenly realize what's at stake. You realize that what's at stake is this re the relationship. And what you realize is that this relationship that you have with this individual that you love and care for, it, maybe on that person's side, is maybe contingent. It's contingent on you accepting them the way they say. And that's, that's not the standard we want there to be, but it's there. And so there'll be times when your hearts are going to be broken. There's going to be pain. Remember what Jesus said. He said in the Gospels that a time was coming that because of Jesus, mother would be turned against daughter, son, a son against the father. He said that would happen. We never imagined that would happen. Not in this way. It's already happening. And so we must ask God to help us be loving, kind, patient, and gracious. And then there are those, when you hear of others who are having disruptions in their families over these issues, that pray that God will help mend their hearts. Because there, will be, there are relationships that are ending, and there's no determined end to the ending of that relationship because of these issues. Because these individuals are standing on this idea that they are sovereign. That they are, in a sense, little gods. And you are denying their very existence. How do you make someone see the light? We can't. We ask the Lord to be merciful and gracious and to open their eyes. But again, remember, it's not just open their eyes to understand the truth about gender issues, etc. We pray that God will open their eyes to their need for Christ. That the misery that, they're, that, they, that they have inside of them, this sense of desperation that people will affirm them, just goes back to the same kind of desperation that people have had for centuries over various issues in their life. And so we, want to, we need once again to reaffirm in our hearts and minds to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing our best to find ways to communicate it lovingly and thoroughly to those who will listen. Be their friend, be kind, but don't compromise on the truth, especially when it comes to that truth that comes clearly out of Scripture and you will end up unwittingly denying the supremacy of God himself. We need wisdom. And we, we must ask God to give us wisdom in navigating these waters, especially with those that we love. And we pray that God will move on their hearts. Because those individuals who are in this, they are, they are, they, they, it's, it's like they have bound themselves on that one-way street to hell. They're already condemned. It's like they're determined to stay on it. And, we, and we are, we're desperate to help them out. And so pray. Pray diligently for them. Depend upon the Lord, lean on Him, continue to read and study the Word of God that we may accurately and lovingly explain to them really what all of truth happens to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And Father, we know that we do live in troubled times. Father, are the times we live in may not be worse than the other time, but it feels that way because it affects us so greatly. And Father, I know that there are some who here who have already faced some of these issues with people in their families, where the lines have been drawn, and there's just an absolute refusal to, um, uh, to reconcile because these become the issues. I pray, Lord, you would comfort their hearts. I pray, Lord, you would give them 
uh, wisdom, give them endurance. Help them, Father, to remain faithful to your word. Father, for those of us who have not yet faced these things but know that one day we might, help us, Father, to prepare ourselves even now by praying for those that we love, continuing to immerse ourselves in the word of God that our faith may be strong. That, Father, we will be uh, so changed by your spirit that we'll have a, a deep well of love that has been filled by your love for us. And that we will truly be accepting of all that are out there and never compromising on the truth of the word of God. We pray, Lord, you help us to recognize opportunities to share Christ. But also along with that, Father, help us to recognize opportunities we have to love others, to care for them, and to serve them. So that they may see Christ in us. That they may see that it's more than just some declaration about what, what is a man or what is a woman or whatever the case may happen to be. But that, Lord, it affects the totality of our life, the way that we handle all of life. Father, we know that we are now in situations that, apart from you, it is hopeless. I pray, Father, you help us to recognize the hopelessness of the world in which we live in. And that, apart from Christ, nothing will change anything. It will only get worse. We are grateful, Father, for our salvation. We are grateful, Father, that you've allowed us to see the truth. Help us to continue to embrace the truth and submit to the truth and live out the truth. Amen. Help us, Father, to be about the truth. Give us strength, Father, because we can easily become weak. Sustain us. Help us to lift each other up, Father, on a regular basis because we do live in very troubling times. We thank you, Father, for never abandoning us. We thank you, Lord, for always being there for us. We thank you, Lord, for your indwelling spirit. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom you give us in your word. Help us, Father, to cling to your word more tightly than ever before. Forgive us, Father, for holding on to your word only emotionally. Help us, Father, to sink our teeth deep into the truth, to read it, in a sense, to eat it and digest it. That may become a part of us. Help us, Father, to be like Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. If you would like to talk about these things further, because there are things about them that disturb you, you can email me, you can text me, we can come by, and you can come by here and we can talk, or we can go have lunch, because we're Baptists, and we can eat and talk. Uh, I'll be more than happy to do that. And there's others here who would be more than happy to do the same thing, because that's the goal. What does the Bible say? How, how can we understand this? And how do we live this out? And, and if you don't know Christ, I'd be more than happy to explain and answer every question you have, or do my best to answer any question you have about the gospel and what it means to be saved, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that you will be with Christ for all of eternity.